In 2008, I was on my way up to Fremont to do a rehearsal dinner. It was a Friday night. Wedding was on a Saturday. It was in July. And I was going up Highway 77. If you know, Highway 77 goes north, and then it cuts east. As I'm doing that, there is a dark cloud running. I'm running parallel with it, and then 77 cuts north into Fremont. And if I had been smart, which I'm not, which you just saw, I would have just waited for that cloud to go right on by. But I thought, no, I'll be okay. So I drove into that, and I drive into that thing, and, and later I would find out in the news the next day, it was a, a microburst. And I knew I was in trouble. It was right when I was coming into Fremont when I saw that a semi had been blown over. I knew I had problems then. And I cried out, Lord, I've been foolish. Spare me. And here's what my concern was. I was driving a Nissan Altima. I thought, if, if something gets blown over, I have no shelter. I don't have anything to protect me. Like, if I end up on, with some semi or some tree, I, I don't have any protection. I don't have any shelter in that storm. And isn't that the way it goes in life? Life sends storms our way, and we feel like we have no protection, no shelter. This morning, I want us to think about where do we find shelter amidst the storms of life. So if you have a Bible, if you'd open that to Genesis 32 and 33, we're going to go through uh, these two chapters and wrestle with the question, where do we find shelters in the storm of life? Now, just a, a quick overview on Genesis. Uh, God has created and humanity has pushed back. And God says, I'm going to show myself another way. I'm going to show myself uh, through a people, a nation. He's picked Abraham, um, called him to another land. Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had, and his wife had two sons, twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Uh, God has chosen to work through Jacob, but Jacob has got major character issues. He's deceptive, and he has spent the last 20 years back in his homeland, which is southern, what we know as modern-day southern Iraq, finding a wife, but he's fallen under the, the power of, of Laban, a very deceptive man. God has finally released him from that. And now he's heading back to Israel, but he's going to face his brother Esau, who he deceived, and Esau wants to kill Jacob. That's what he said 20 years ago. And so after ripping him off, he's going back to face him, and that sets the stage for what we start in Genesis 32. Verses 1 and 2. It says, Now as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. Jacob said when he saw them, This is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanaim. This has been the story. God keeps showing up. If you were with us last week, Jacob had served 20 years and he was ready to go. And he said, I don't need for my family. And and God showed up and got him a flock and got him some wealth and then delivered him from the hand of his deceptive uncle Laban. God keeps showing up. And, and so God shows up again and, and Jacob appropriately names the place. So now that God's shown up, Jacob's got to move forward with, with meeting Esau. Verse 3, then jo Jacob sent messages before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus 
says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks, males and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I might find favor in your sight. So, so he sends out a delegation before him. How's this going to play out? It's been 20 years. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Now, what would you think if he sent 400 men? Uh, no, that's not good. That, that sounds like an army to me. So in verses 7 and 8, he divides his family into two camps. And I guess his thinking is if one gets attacked, the other can scatter. And so that's what he does in verses 7 and 8. And in verses, verse 9 then, he, he begins to, to entreat the Lord. Here's what he says. Oh, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. So he grounds his prayer in what you promised my grandfather and father. Lord, this is what you said. He doesn't come on the basis, look, hey, you owe me, hey, this. It's, it's I'm part of the family. I'm part of the lineage. And we talked about that in Christ. We're part of the family. We're part of the lineage. And he goes on to say, I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. The idea that people have depended on God's grace goes all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob says, man, I am unworthy. I don't deserve what you've given me, and I don't deserve what I'm about to ask of you. For with my staff only, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have come to companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he will come and attack these mothers with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. Lord, I'm taking you at your word. And look, I think this guy's really mad, and I, I'll be honest, Lord, I'm really afraid. And maybe God says, do not fear, that's what he says to his people, but I don't know, but, but sometimes I get afraid, and we, we just need to be laid out there. I am afraid of what I'm facing. I'm afraid of what's going on. And Lord, you said you were going to prosper me, and my descendants were going to be like that of the sand on the seashore. Well, if I'm dead, that's not going to work out. So would you grow Protect me, that, that, that your word can be fulfilled. Again, we are in debt to God. He has shown us grace we don't deserve. Uh, Ephesians 1.3, Paul said this, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You didn't earn that. I didn't earn that. God gave that to us. He showed that to us. And so we are... We are in God's debt. We are, we are dependent on His grace. Well, in verses 13 through 21, He sends major gifts. He sends five different people, 500 kinds of, different kinds of animals to, to Esau to say, hey, I just want to be friends. Uh, and I'll let you read that on your own. In verses 22 and 23, there's a ford of Jabbok, and, and the family crosses, everybody crosses, and Jacob comes back. 
And that sets the stage for verse 24, which is one of the most mysterious yet powerful relationship, connections between God and people. And, and so here's what it says, verse 24, then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And, and the question we're going to have is, who is this man? We'll, we'll try and figure that out. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, so the, thigh, the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. This is what the man says. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I, I, what, this, this has been a long tussle. It's been a long thing. And I, one guy wants to go, and Jacob said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Jacob's got something figured out about this guy. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob. Remember, Jacob means deceiver. Jacob means supplanter. Jacob is somebody who rips people off. But your name's going to be Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. The scholars are, are kind of divided. It means God has striven or, or, or God strives. But I, I think here's the message. There's a change of name, but the change of name is symbolic of a change of character. And in the past, when Jacob has needed something, his go-to thing has been deception. I'm going to figure this out, and I'm going to rip you off, and I'm going to take advantage of my dad. I take advantage of his poor eyesight, and I, I take advantage of my brother in need. I take advantage of people. That's what I've done. And he's just had 20 years of being taken advantage of. So God has got him at a point. He said, look, your name's changing because your character's changing. Your name is going to be Israel, and God strives. And no longer are you going to be in the business of deception. You're going to be in the business of God, counting on God to do a work. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now, scholars was this an angel God sent? I, I really think he saw the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. He saw God face to face. That is an act of grace. If you or I go before God on our own, we will be annihilated. We, we can't. He is so holy. He is so perfect. That God would show himself this way is an act of grace. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel did not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. You know, a friend of mine says, Andy, Jacob wrestled with God, and he never walked the same. Turn of a phrase, metaphor. You wrestle with God. I wrestle with God. We have this attitude, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. God, you have got something I need, and I'm not letting go of you until you show me your favor. We'll never walk the same. We'll never walk the same. So, Andy, what are you talking about? Let me give you, I come to faith in the fall of 79. I was a freshman in college, and I come back to my dorm room. I got baptized that day and took a shower, came back. I shook. Because I had come to college 
to secure my livelihood. And I was going to get an engineering degree, and there were a lot of jobs for engineers, blah, 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 blah. And my dad had lost his job because he couldn't get along with his boss. We'd, I'd come from a home of um, a lack of financial security. And I was going to change that by getting a good education. And God began to wrestle with me. Nothing, nothing wrong with education. Nothing wrong with education at all. But your security, Andy, is not in your education. And you need to make me a priority. And I've wrestled with it. And over the years, I've come to understand, yeah, there is not security but in the Lord. Remember, I was a missionary. I've got two brothers. One's a doctor and one designs software. And I'm, I'm a missionary asking people for money. And my older brother, he was a, he's an obstetrician. And they had doubled his malpractice. And he wasn't able to take a paycheck home for about four months because his, his expenses were so high. My younger brother was without a job. And I thought, isn't it interesting that the one son who's got a steady paycheck is the one who's asking people for money. Security's in the Lord. I wrestled with God to come to that conclusion. It wasn't natural for me. Later, I didn't get married until I was 33, and I remember I was 27 or 8, and I was way past my plan of when I was supposed to be married. I heard a marriage on, uh, message on trusting God, and I just thought, it is, there's no way I can go this life without being married. And God, I wrestled with Him. Am I enough for you? And uh, Yeah, and, and I was different. I was a more secure person for having wrestled with God. Have you wrestled with God? Here's where the wrestling starts. It's that we're not good enough on our own to reach God. That was a hard message for me when I heard it my freshman year. I thought I was pretty good. And the gospel says, no, you need to be born again. You need to be changed from the inside out. And that happens when Jesus says, the wrestling starts there. Have you been born again? If so, that's where the process starts. That's where God begins to step into your life. And so we see this modeled in Jacob way back in the day, wrestling with God. We go back to our passage, it says, Then Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and, and the two maids. Go two ways. He put the maids and their children in front, and Leah and her, her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. For he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Then Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, and fell on his neck and kissed him, and he wept. He lifted his eyes, saw the women and the children, and said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids came near with their children, and they bowed down. Leah likewise came near with her children, and they bowed down. And afterward, Joseph came near with Rachel, and they bowed down. And he said, What do you mean by all this company which I've met? And he said, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have be your own. Then Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then take my present from my hand. For I see your face as one sees the face of God, and you have received me favorably. Please take my gift, which has been brought to you, because God is now graciously with me, because I have plenty. Thus he urged him and took it. And so Esau accepts the gift. And in 20 years, God has done something that Esau no longer wants to kill Jacob. He accepts him. And, and the rest of the chapter is about them breaking the land up and how they'll live and where they're living. I'll, I'll let you read that on your own. Remember, we talked about being caught in the storm. There I am in a, uh, a microburst in my Nissan Altima, seeing a semi has already been blown over and wondering, where is my shelter? 
And the storms of life come, and they come in health issues, and they come in job issues, and they come in relational issues, and they come, and they come, and they come. Where is our shelter? Well, here's what Jacob would say. God is our shelter in the midst of storms. God is our shelter in the midst of storms. And if ever there was a grace shown, it is in Genesis 32, 30, where Jacob said, I have met God face to face, and I have lived to see it. Do you understand we can see God face to face in Jesus Christ, and we can live to see it? But they came at a cost. Matthew 27, 46 says that the father turned his son on the back on the son when he was on the cross because he represented sin to us. Jesus, death on the cross, allows you and me to see the face of God. So as we think about that answer, and we're, yes, God is our shelter in the midst of storms, but I, but I would be more specific, Jesus. Jesus is our shelter in the midst of storms. So here's my question for you. What's your storm? What is it that you look at? It's coming on the horizon. Hey, if you don't have a storm, be of good cheer. One's on the way. Isn't that encouraging? Aren't you glad you woke up this morning to hear that? When it comes, are you going to be caught unprepared like I was that day in July, just hoping? Or can you trust Jesus to be that place? What are you doing to cultivate that relationship? What are you doing to cultivate that shelter that you can live in the confidence that Jesus is your shelter when the storm comes? Imagine a tornado warning. That's not hard to do here in Nebraska. Um, and you're forced to the deepest cellar in your house because it's a bad storm. And you get there and you get down there and turn on a flashlight and you find a treasure that you didn't know was there, an antique, an heirloom that's worth a bunch. Wouldn't that be ironic in the storm? You just went to get away, but you found something of great value. See, that's the beauty of storms in life. We have to get away, and it forces us to Jesus. But when we do, we find something of great value. And our hope, as we look for Him, as we'll sing in just a minute, is, is Jesus is that rock, to use another metaphor, that does not move. And our trust is that when, as we find shelter in the storm, like Jacob, we'll find something we didn't expect to find. Jacob found his character. That's our hope as we seek Jesus in the midst of the storm. He does something. We find something we wouldn't otherwise find. Let me pray, and I'll invite our worship team to come and close. So Lord, we're grateful for this, your word, and thank you that uh, you are a shelter. And, and like Jacob, we, we find something what we wouldn't otherwise find in you. In Christ's name, amen.